Welcome to the Platform Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Kundi wright founder and head coach of the Twin Cities Kettlebell Club, and I'm on a mission to help others build sustainable, healthy habits. I know how hard that can be because I've struggled and succeeded to varying degrees throughout my life, but I've lost over 100 pounds and kept it off for over a decade now. The key for me was discovering my passion for lifting weights and kettlebell sport. On this podcast, we'll talk to athletes, coaches, experts, and everyday people about kettlebells, fitness programming, nutrition, mindset, making an impact, and generally striving to grow and leave a legacy of positive change. Please join me. All right, welcome into season two of the Platform Podcast. Today's guest is Dr. Christina Campioni, coming to us from the suburbs of Chicago, Illinois. I am very excited to have her on. She is a chiropractic physician, as well as having a master's of science in nutrition and human performance. So we're going to talk about all of the things today as it relates to nutrition, human performance, and you just launched your own uh, nutrition consulting company as well. So Christina, welcome in. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Me too. Me too. So first, let's let's give people a little bit of the background on uh, who you are. We can go all the way back to your sporty spice years, right? Like, what's what's your <laughs> cool. what's your athletic background first? We'll start with that before we get into the how did you become a doctor. So, uh, athletic background. I was a competitive gymnast for a long time. So Isn't it gymnast? I think it's gymnast. Gymnast, yes. <laughs> Especially if you um, actually, for years, my friends always uh, kind of joked with me that I needed to like ruski up my name a little bit to make it sound more <laughs> gymnastic. So, like, they would call me like Cristania. Um, <laughs> but we do that uh, in kettlebell too, actually. Right. <laughs> All the badasses from the, yeah. right, the Easter, the old Eastern block, that old training mentality, right? <laughs> totally. Um, so I, I was a, a high school and a, a competitive club gymnast for a long time, ended up going to UIC to do gymnastics and for various That's reasons. University of Illinois, into, Chicago, for those of you correct, who don't know. Yes, sorry, for those of you who aren't uh, local, my apologies. Um, and I really just kind of after having a really great experience in the gymnastics world for 10 years, which you hear a lot of horror stories, whereas I was like, Oh my God, this is the greatest sport ever. I have great coaches. I have great, you know, everything. And I got to college and I was really just not having the best experience. Hmm. And um, so I decided to quit and learn how to pole vault as a sophomore in college. And Pretty easy to acquire skill. I, right. I, you know, you it know, looks you super just, easy when people do it. You just <laughs> pick up a stick and run at the big tall thing, right? <laughs> and, Fling yourself um, 20 feet into the air. <laughs> Why not? Like, I'm a little deranged when it comes to like, you know, what I think is, is adrenaline versus like, you know, oh, that's totally, why wouldn't you do that? Yeah, makes sense. Uh, and then, I look at um, it and go, that pole's going to snap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they don't, they don't make and, the physics to support my weight. So. <laughs> <laughs> and um, spent the next three years as, as a, a field athlete, having the time of my life, making a lot of really great friends, a lot of really great connections. And nice. um, 
working with a really so so why chiropractic even actually came from those days i was working with a really phenomenal chiropractor um who was coming to take care of the athletes kind of as an adjuvant to our training staff and um it also happened to be that our weightlifting coach had she was working with various uh, football players at the time who were kind of in that world and again uh, there's a lot of kind of chiropractor things that have come and gone as fads but but she was working with ART at the time. And so not only did I know that ART. I eventually wanted to go, so active release technique. Ah, uh, yes, okay. Um, so uh, at the time she was saying like, hey, you know, if you wanna be a chiropractor, you don't have to just be this traditional person who comes in and, you know, we kind of jokingly say like racks and cracks, right? We, yeah. we don't have to just pop backs. There's a lot more that you can do in this career field if you know about all of these cool postgraduate certifications that are available to you. Um, so fast forward, I graduate from college. I did end up going to chiropractic school, met my husband in the cadaver lab. Uh, so what very up, John? romantic story there, right? Shout out to, shout out to my hubs there. Um, and kind of not only knew that I wanted to be a chiropractor, but actually knew a lot of the postgraduate, um, stuff that I wanted to pursue after my doctoral education. So uh, came out really with the mindset that I wanted to be a movement professional. I wanted to look at how people move. I wanted to assess, you know, proper movement, improper movement, you know, putting correctives to it. I didn't want to just be that traditional idea of what people thought a chiropractor was. To me, it was a gap in the system uh, between orthopedic surgery and non-surgical orthopedics, right? There was mm. kind of, there is no MD specialty for an orthopedic who does not perform surgery, who does mm. other mm. manual techniques. Yeah. And being that in, at least where I am in the state of Illinois, we have a very kind of liberal scope of practice as chiropractors. We can pretty much do anything that doesn't involve uh, medications or surgery. It opened this doorway for me to say, okay, I'm gonna be a non-surgical orthopedist, right? Um, so was doing a lot of movement with my patients, lots of, uh, you know, the correctives, pursuing all the, the movement, um, continuing education. And I kind of started to see this weird trend that patients who were coming in, you know, we could throw all the cool movement stuff at them. We could do every proper exercise. I could assess their core until I was blue in the face. But if they were doing something lifestyle wise, that was inhibiting their healing, if they were a chronic smoker, if their diet was, you know, really subpar, then they would feel really great for a while after treatment. And inevitably, you know, a month or two later, they'd be like, Hey, I felt really great for this amount of time, but it's back or it felt mm. really great, but I've still got this like slight low level nagging type pain. And once I kind of started to really dive into the science of how our systemic inflammation affects our healing, I really kind of started to look at, you know, how do we put the fire out so that your body actually can um, capitalize on its opportunity to heal, right? And it mm. can't do that if there's constantly kind of this like low level embers burning mm. all the time because of lifestyle factors. And so uh, after my first child, I decided it would be a really good idea to practice part-time, be a mom and go pursue a master's degree. Of course. Um, so Perfect I did while it. I was right. Yeah. I mean, I was like, I'm pregnant with my second. It's, it's never going to be less chaotic than this ever again. Um, so I did, I, I, uh, decided to do my degree online. 
uh, it ended up being really spectacular. I also obviously geek out with a lot of extracurricular reading. My reading list is like a nutrition nerd's dream. Mm. Um, and it's just something that fascinates me. I'm fascinated by how our gut and how we put, what we put in and on our body, how it affects not only how we heal, it affects everything from how we think to how we behave to how we you know, are susceptible to illness or not. It's just got so much more of a ripple effect than people. I think people think of nutrition and diet and they think of things like, is this going to make me fat? Or Mm. is this going to make me faster or slower, right? Because they're either super conscious in terms of nutrition because they want to do it for performance reasons, or they're concerned with their appearance. And I don't really, like, I don't dabble in whether or not you look in the mirror and and feel slim or not, I look at your data in terms of like, how do you feel? What is our, what does our body chemistry look like? Um, you know, how, what is our resistance to disease look like and how good is our body at healing from events that, um, could potentially do things like reduce performance, right? Like nobody Mm -hmm. wants to get injured and be out for months at a time because they just, for some reason, their body just isn't doing what it should be doing in order to heal. And athletes are notorious for that, right? Like athletes totally. will do all the rehab exercises you want to give them. Like you give them three sets of a million and they're nodding their head like, absolutely. Like tell me when to get them done. Um, but they're not good at sitting out and they're not good at necessarily doing <laughs> the things that they need to do to heal. And I don't want them to sit out. Like nobody wants to sit out. We're all terrible at it. So I'm like, how can I get you better faster, right? And a lot of that isn't necessarily starting with just you know, let's give you these 17,000 wrist exercises for your wrist injury. It's, well, why isn't your wrist healing as quickly as possible? And sometimes we have to look inside for that. Yeah, that's, oh, there's so much to unpack there. I love, I love, right? every, every, I love everything you, I love everything you said there, except calling me out about not ever sitting out, but. Um, hey, you know. <laughs> it takes one to know one, man. I was the worst. I think it took my gymnastics coach, uh, like, it took me like six weeks to tell him that my wrist hurt. And by the time I did, they were like, Hey, you shredded like three ligaments in there. Like, yeah. you want to tell us about that? And I was like, no, no, I'm good. Yeah. I played with a broken rib too. I, I had a, I had a crack in my, I had a crack in my rib oh. and they were like, they were like, they're like, does it hurt? I was like, only when I breathe, it's fine. Only, it's fine. I'm good. Like, <laughs> like, put me in coach. Just, yeah. just let me go back in the game. Wrap it up. We're and let all me go exactly back in the, game, right? the same. Yeah. But I'm like, Hey, I'm, it's just a stress fracture. I can totally still pull balls yeah. on this. Like it's no big deal. <laughs> But I, I literally just had a conversation with with one of my with one of my athletes about a very similar thing ta- talking about, you know, we're talking about recovering from systemic inflammation, we're talking about recovering from, you know, because uh, he was having skin issues and digestive issues and things that, that to me, I was like, okay, this is ind- indicative to me of either you're ingesting something consistently that is inflaming your body, or you just have systemic over inflammation, you just have for a period of time, you've just been over inflamed for, for too long, and you've just got systemic stress that's too high and we need to figure out what's what's going on and it's like you know he's starting to feel better so he wants to you know get back get back to it get back to it and I'm like no 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 now now we're restoring stasis we're we're trying to restore stasis this is all about getting back to homeostasis but it's such a hard conversation to have with people who are naturally type a naturally driven naturally oriented to goal uh but it's a you know it's difficult to be like hey the best thing that's going to get you there faster is to slow down it's like wait a minute what <laughs> you know it's a it's, it's, it's a very counter, like, counterintuitive yeah. concept to everything you've been programmed to do since like the moment you you decided what sport you're you're sold on right yeah yeah but kudos but, to you for recognizing that i mean 
people don't realize that skin, you know, skin conditions, joint, like multifocal joint pain and, you know, depression are three of the biggest things that are indicative that something's going on in terms of your gut. So when people are like, hey, I've got this eczema that won't go away or like, hey, I have multiple joints that seem to be bothering me at all times or I just don't feel great mood wise. Those are big indicators of, of, yeah, of and, inflammation pouring out somewhere. Well, and to your to your point about you know gaps in the system, right? And and I, I feel I feel for people that like go through this experience where they're like, hey, I've been to every doctor, I've gone through every test, and they all they can tell me is, yeah, we don't know what it is. You you just mm-hmm. have you just have a condition, you know, whether it's skin or gut or what, you just have IBS or you just have, and it's like. Okay, let's. Shit doesn't just happen. <laughs> like I under I understand what they're saying, but what they're really saying is I don't know what it I is. Don't know. Not, not not that there isn't a cause. There there's like well we don't know what it is. It's like well that's because it's outside of your scope of education, and that doesn't mean that there's not some underlying cause. But it's like we have to keep pulling on the threads. Like if we've eliminated these variables, let's look at other variables because there are Absolutely. other variables to there are other variables to look at. So it's a it's a challenge in the in the Western. Uh, healthcare model. system, yeah. you know, that's the, because it's more of an illness treatment model than it is a wellness model. So what, when you look at systemic inflammation and the indicators of inflammation, what are the biggest culprits that you see in, we'll just say America, but Western culture in general, like what are the biggest inflammatory agents that most people probably have going on in their life that maybe they're aware of, maybe they're not, you know, but, but what could, what could you tell people that to look out for when, when it comes to like, what should they be, what could they do to avoid some of the inflammatory agents in their life? So there's a couple of factors you could, you could dive into each of these categories. So let's kind of just say there's, let's, you know, if we put it into categories, we could say one, first, the things that we put in our body, right? So looking at, um, you know, the, the lining of the gut and whether or not it's, sensitive to certain food groups, right? Are you, and everybody, you know, we get, we could get on the gluten train for the longest time, but gluten's not the only thing, right? Are we having issues with dairy? Are we having issues with corn? Are we having issues with soy? Are we having issues? Okay. And then we're also constantly bombarding our body with things like sugar. Sugar is incredibly inflammatory. And people Mm. think of sugar as just, Hey, there's actual added like Mm. sucrose in this, right? But we have to actually look at things like refine. And I hate I'm not going to be one of those people that like vilifies a macronutrient because I can't mm-hmm. stand that. People are like, I don't eat carbs. I'm like, okay, great. Broccoli is a carb. Like we got to, <laughs> what are we doing here? Yeah. Um, so I'm not on the train of like getting rid of an entire macronutrient in your diet. I think that's ridiculous. Um, but if there's something that is genuinely upsetting to that person's system, we may need to look at removing it. There are some kind of catch all, like this is going to bother everyone, right? Like mm-hmm. obviously too many seed oils, too, like refined seed oils, too many refined grains, too many, too much sugar. Um, there, there's uh, going to be foods that just kind of are like a no-no for everyone, right? So seed uh, oils, let's, let's, let's articulate what I know. I know what you mean, but I want, I want to make sure that everybody knows what you mean. When you say seed oils, what are the seed oils that you're referring to? I mean, to? things like your canola oils, your vegetable oils, the things that were sold to you as like the heart healthy, mm. low fat oils. Wait, so vegetable actually... oils are actually seed oils. So corn is actually, uh, a, is actually a seed and not actually a vegetable. You, yeah. It's, yeah. It's really more, it acts more like a starch and a grain. And I think that people were sold on this idea that these low fat oils were going to solve all their problems. But what we see is most of them, um, not only are they, their fatty acid ratios are completely uh, out of whack in terms of what our body needs. The the inflammatory 
fats like your omega-6 fats are really high in those types of oils, but the way that they're manufactured is also very aggressive. A lot of these are um, pressed with chemicals uh, in order to expedite the pressing process. Mm. Like it's very hard. If you could find, you know, like cold pressed canola oil, I still wouldn't love it, but it'd be better than potentially just like your conventional canola oil, but they're almost impossible to find just because yeah, of the way that And that's that what it means when they say cold, cold pressed, right? Is that, that basically means it's not done through a chemical process. It's Correct. actually done through a mechanical process of pressing, Correct. pressing yes. out the oil. Yeah. See, so, I learned, you know, I learned I something. I didn't know that. Uh, I prefer, you know, I prefer like your avocado oils, your coconut oils. I use a lot of olive oil, but only on cold foods. So like mm. after it's been cooked, I don't actually cook with olive oil because it's a very delicate oil. Yeah. So that's the other thing. Low, low, sm low smoke point and you damage, you damage, point, you damage exactly. the chemicals. and They yeah. rancify whole nine yards. Um, then we have to, so that, that's just kind of the layer of like what goes in our body, right? Because your, your digestive system is the outside of your body. Technically, I always kind of talk about humans as being like a complicated twisty donut, mm. right? Like the digestive tract is the outside of your body. And then you bring all of these things in. So what we bring into our body, what we put on our body, um, particularly for women i mean no judgment i was just gonna say wear, like, i was just gonna say i just i just put soap uh i have soap on a rope my son loves it we we call it dude right. soap, dude <laughs> in, soap. In, a, in a little scrubber thing yeah that's all that women put upwards of a thousand chemicals on themselves every day between makeup and hair products and skin products and body lotions oh. and nail polish and like it's just you know there's so much that goes in and in Europe, there's like 1600 ingredients that are banned that are completely yeah. unproblematic here. Um, so that's another, you know, your skin, I, I like to call it your, your skin is a carrier, not a barrier, right? Mm. It's not gonna like stop it's the largest from organ in, in the body. Exactly. And so we can't expect it to be exempt from the, the uh, equation in terms of like what we're, we're being exposed to. Um, so like so we're talking like par parabens in, and phthalates, right? Like, and what parabens, are, what are those? Sodium. So parabens are mostly a lot of the ingredients that kind of go into these products that are problematic tend to be preservatives, right? These things mm. need to sit on shelves for long periods of time. Um, a lot of them are stabilizers. A lot of them, uh, things like talc, they're contaminated with metals oftentimes. Mm. So it tends to be that a lot of them, and it's the same with food, right? A lot of this nonsense that gets placed into, into processed food has to do with the fact that if I put a Twinkie on a plate for however long, it's not going to rot. I can't do that with an apple. Food is, it should rot, right? Mm. Like we're just supposed to eat it before it does. So a lot of these things that are problematic tend to be like those stabilizers, those emulsifiers, those things are going to allow something to sit on a shelf either, you know, in terms of a beauty product in a bottle or in terms of a food product on a shelf. Otherwise, everything in our household, right? You, who wants to like buy lotion and have to like store it in the fridge because it's going to go bad if you don't, right? <laughs> it's, it just becomes very um, problematic from a manufacturing standpoint, even, you know, like yeah. how do you produce it, ship it, sell it and use it before it goes bad. So yeah. um, then you can look at, you know, other lifestyle factors. Does someone smoke obviously that's a huge one um you know are there other other factors recreational drug use depending on what you know there's there's a lot of like lifestyle choices that you can make that will obviously play an impact there and then environmental toxins um if someone has an occupation that may expose them to certain things and then mm. just all of the products that are in your house that 
like I've gone so far down the rabbit hole that like people think I'm insane because I'm like, okay, so we have to make sure that all the kids' pajamas don't have flame retardants in them. And my mom's mm -hmm. like, there's flame retardants in pajamas? And I'm like, yes. yeah, like read the labels. They're, yeah. you know, they're dipping kids' mattresses in formaldehyde because of the fire code when, you know, it's, it's cheaper than using all of these like inert salts to do it. Or it's cheaper than, it's cheaper to make a flame retardant blanket than it is to make a wool blanket which would burn very slowly right so in the in the interest of meeting all of these like safety criteria which is good like we should keep things in our children's bedrooms from lighting on fire easily but yeah. at the same time we should probably do it with chemicals that won't give them asthma or respiratory issues or cancer in 30 years right mm. and it's in everything it's it's in your glues and your paints and your right and and so then it becomes like a how deep do we want to go does do we let it off gas in the garage before we put it in our bedroom do we buy no voc paint do we right and so it's it's very easy from a manufacturing standpoint to just say like slap a label on it and be like hey you know we've we have some mild data to say that this might be problematic but no big deal like it hasn't really harmed anyone because you now it's have informed to, consent. It's on you. Right. You have informed consent. It's on you. And that's one of the biggest problems with this entire system is that it becomes, the burden becomes on the consumer, right? The burden is on the consumer to go discover what it is and isn't that they want to be exposed to. So mm. 50 years later, if you get cancer, it's very hard to then roll back and say, okay, was it the artificial sweeteners I was eating? Is it the hair dye that I'm constantly exposed to because I'm a hairdresser? Is it the flame retardants in my couch. And at that point you can't say, well, it was this one thing. And so yeah. we just won't blame it on anything and we'll keep moving through life pretending that none of this is an issue, right? But the reality is, is that the rates of chronic disease have risen exponentially to the point where we can't blame this on like a genetic change, right? Like mm. we haven't changed, we haven't evolved as a We don't evolve that enough. quickly. <laughs> right, like we're not bacteria. We haven't evolved enough since the fifties to say there's something that can explain genetically, like the, the tremendous rise in things like dementia, there's tremendous rise in things like, right, X, Y, or Z, name, name any chronic disease at this point, yeah. Lou Gehrig's disease, people didn't used to know what Lou Gehrig's disease was. And now people are like, you know, dumping buckets of ice on their head to raise money for ALS, because it's so much more prominent. And we just don't have an, a concrete genetic explanation. And so the only other explanation is environment, right? Something mm -hmm. around us has to be contributing to these increases in, in chronic disease. Well, and there's uh, then there's the difficulty of interaction effects as well, right? Because you have, uh, how, do you, how do you parse out the, the, what is the role of a more sedentary lifestyle in general for mm -hmm. Americans, uh, the abundance of more calories, and regardless of calorie quality, let's just, we'll, we'll leave the calorie, calorie quality out, a part of the equation out of it. We'll just say, we're eating more calories, they're more available, we eat more, we move less, um, we have more stress, we sleep less, we have more technology, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, and by the way, we also have all of these environmental, uh, you know, toxins that are also going in we you know so it, then it starts to be it, it becomes such a rubik's cube you know at a certain point you're like okay well what we can't that's why i always i get super frustrated when people are like well the problem is 
X, whatever. The problem <laughs> is sugar or the problem is whatever. It's a lot of things. It's like, and it's then, like, no, it's yeah. multifaceted. It's not, it's not, any, it's not any one thing. Um, but that's also the challenge as, as, uh, as a coach, right, is, is trying to have a holistic and deep enough understanding to be able to start viewing the interactions between the different silos. But it's also super hard because you can go so deep in any one silo um, that you can get a little bit tunnel visioned. And then, but who can afford to have a team? of people that are experts in all of these different in areas. every single field yeah you know, so it's it's it, it becomes it becomes really really challenging so with that I'm going to ask you what most people would consider a, a softball question but I think it's actually a really hard question is what's the longest lever we have to pull on to improve our health yeah see so, <laughs> that's not an easy question it's not an easy question because there are so many factors and I think that one of the biggest things that we need to do is actually get involved in changing our food system. Mm. And that in and of itself is a, um, just, it's a clusterfuck. Like it's, it's just really the only way you can possibly describe yeah. it. So pardon yeah. me, but no, um, no, I, there's, that is the, the perfect is, term for it at this point. Our system is designed to make people fail. You're surrounded by marketing for terrible foods that are produced by companies that all natural food. Right. Oh, well, I love, you know, everybody knows how much I love that term. Um, but they're produced by companies who their obligation is not to you. Their obligation is to their shareholders. Right. Mm. And so their obligation as a company is to make as much money as possible while spending as little as possible. So we pay for it on the front end and in the back end in things like the farm bill, right? Where, mm. and, and that, this is not to be blamed on any political party because it doesn't seem to matter who's in office. These, these food companies have such a tremendous amount of power that it's really kind of been stagnant for a large number of years at this point that we do things like convince farmers that it's more equitable to farm things like corn and soy rather than like food crops mm -hmm. that we promise them we'll sell them to cattle that we are over farming anyway because we're all eating too much meat right and so now we've got all these uh, literally cow farts like screwing up the environment because we're raising too much meat then we have too much feed for them so we subsidize it right the government then pays for the corn in a subsidy that they then pay to um, sell to companies like Coca-Cola or whoever, whoever it is that needs it to make high fructose corn syrup. And then we make a processed food product out of it. So we're paying for all of it on the front end in terms of like environmental cost, in terms of government subsidies. And then on the back end, we pay for it in terms of health consequences because we're paying increased costs for things like Medicare and Medicaid, right? To pay on for the, all of And in the intermediate diseases. step, you can get two, you can get two liters of Coca-Cola for, you know, a buck 25 at the, at the corner store or whatever, you know, whatever right. it sells for on that. Particular in your food place. desert where SNAP will pay for it because that's written in the bill too, that we can spend, you know, SNAP funds on sugary beverages and these types of things. And, and it gets better food companies actually advertise their processed foods more heavily in those underserved areas on mm -hmm. the day when benefits come out, right? So we have this system that's basically set up for people to make the cheap, easy, convenient choice when we would be so much better served saying like, scrap growing the soybeans, stop growing so much meat in like a confined animal farm, right? Where we're, we have all these feedlot animals. And instead, like, let's grow some food 
and let like real food, like things like apples and broccoli and right, like things that are that are you know going to be beneficial. Um, stop letting people spend their food benefits on on things like soda, right? But the unfortunate reality is people give the pharmaceutical industry this credit as being this like big you know, master puppeteer, super you know, large industry that has all this lobbying power. And they do, don't get me wrong, but not everybody takes medications, everybody eats. And so mm. food companies really have this tremendous lobbying power. The government can come in and say something like, hey, here's how much salt we think you should be eating. And then the food companies come in and they're like, whoa, 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 that makes us look kind of bad when we have to put on our package that this is like 3000% of your daily intake, right? So yeah. they argue it down and they, you know, so there's, there's well, a lot there yeah. that needs to be done, obviously. So I'm going to, I want to, I want to devil's advocate you a little bit here just for fun. Um, Fire away. <laughs> what about personal responsibility? How, what is, so I don't disagree with you that, that uh, there are societal and systemic uh, factors at play that are powerful and interact with one another. Um, but at the same time, there are also people that know that an apple is a better choice than an apple pie. So where does the Absolutely. personal where does the personal responsibility come in as well? And I'm not saying it's binary, um, but I'm curious what your what your thought is as you know as somebody who cares about food politics, but also coaches individuals to make better choices, right? Where, where does personal responsibility uh, start to play in as well? So my thought on where do we look at like the system versus the individual? And my, my feelings on what people should and shouldn't do is the only reason why you shouldn't X, Y, or Z. The only reason you shouldn't eat well, the only reason you shouldn't breastfeed, the only reason you shouldn't exercise, right? Is because you don't want to. If we remove all of those other barriers, right? If we solve things like food equity, if we solve things like financial constraints, if we solve all of the barriers there are to things like eating well, then at that point, if it's, if it's just a choice, I can't force you to do something you don't wanna do, right? Then it's on you if you don't wanna do it. If you look, like at this point, everybody knows smoking is bad for them, right? Like we've been saying it for, it's, it's not the 50s anymore where your doctor comes into your appointment like smoking a cigarette, not mad men anymore, right? Mm -hmm. So at this point, I feel like if you smoke, you know how bad it is for you, right? You're, you're making a conscious choice to do something that isn't good for you. And it is what it is. You're gonna have to live with those consequences of you might get lung cancer. You might get, you know, there might be other consequences to that. Now, if we lived in a society where people were still saying like smoking is good for you and people were like, well, but my doctor said it's okay. That's a different equation, right? Mm -hmm. So I definitely think that there is a huge level of personal responsibility. I think that most of us can sit there and say, as you said, the apple is better than the apple pie. Um, and I 100% am on board with that. If I, if I didn't believe that, I think I'd be a pretty terrible nutrition coach if I was like, it's completely, <laughs> you're, you are powerless in this equation, right? <laughs> like, like someone just like force feeding you Cheetos as you sit there, right? Um, but I definitely think that, that we um, can't necessarily tease that out from things like inequity, food deserts, like, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so there's this level of, we have to remove those barriers first. And then at that point, if you're choosing to do it, it should, it shouldn't be because you don't have the means, the knowledge or the access, right? Mm -hmm. And if you have those three things, if you know it's bad for you, if you have access to better food and you can afford to buy the better food, 
then then you have no excuse, right? Yeah. Um, well, but that personal responsibility is that other kind of big 50% of that equation. Yeah. Well, we, we can't necessarily affect the uh, the means or the access component of it, the two of us, that is, uh, maybe. That, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> but but we, can't, we can affect the knowledge component a little bit um, mm -hmm. as, as nutrition coaches. So you know, let's go down that, let's go down that rabbit hole a little bit. So what are your biggest pet peeves or, or of, of misinformation that's still prevalent right now from a nutrition standpoint that you wish people understood? You know, what, what are, I guess I'll say your top, your top three. That, My that top really, three. What, okay. what really bothers you that you see on a regular basis? I hate the whole, <laughs> all animal products are the devil thing like that. Mm. I feel I, I have another friend who I've kind of had this conversation with who she's a she's a dietitian and we kind of joke that um, I feel like the word plant based like the words plant based diet have been like usurped. Um, I have no problem with completely plant I call them plant exclusive diets. I have no problem with plant exclusive diets. I think that they can be done. I think they can definitely be done in a way where if Meaning exclusively plants, not excluding exclusively plants. Exclusively plants, yes. If you're a plant exclusive diet, meaning you only eat plants, I think it can be done in a way that is um, conducive to good nutrition if you're cognizant of it. Because I always kind of crack a joke that um, people will tell me like, I'm a vegetarian and I'm like, cool, run me through what you eat. And they'll give me this list of food and I'm like, you didn't name any vegetables. <laughs> like, let's start there. Um, you're a cookie-tarian or you're a pastatarian or mm. you're a whatever, but you're not a vegetarian. You didn't need any vegetables in that equation. Um, so I kind of hate this myth of like, people have been sold on that lipid hypothesis, right? That like eggs are bad for you and, and all meat is bad for you. And I'm like, hey, I mean, can we talk about like the quality of, of the meat? Like, yeah, I don't really want to eat like a feedlot cow but like grass-fed beef like in moderate quantities like you know portion size matters quality matters um so i do kind of hate that idea that um there's one you know only one way to do this and it's and it's to you know eliminate an entire thing right so so eliminating all animal products or eliminating all grains or eliminating all right like that that idea that like we have to have this how about a meat exclusive diet are you into carnivore right? no i'm not into that either like i like i said to you earlier i'm really not into this idea that we have to put ourselves in a little tiny box and like label it like i don't like the label of like i'm only keto or i'm only paleo or i'm only like just eat food right like just eat nutritious food and who gives a shit right? If you named it X, Y, or Z, because it made you feel like you have something to conform to, and it makes you, I think maybe it gives people a sense of feeling like if they call it a specific thing, they'll be more inclined to like feel like they're having their hand held because there's a bigger guideline, right? Just well, saying eat, eat nutritiously. That. There's that, but then there's also the virtue signaling part of it. There's the tribalism part of it, right? And I and I, I say this knowing that it's probably a little, whatever, it'll probably trigger some people, but there's a virtue signaling thing by saying, well, I'm a vegetarian or I'm vegan, right? There I'm are definitely, and that's yeah. not, that's not everybody who chooses those lifestyles, but there are, there is definitely a component of that, uh, that there are people within those tribes that are, use it as a virtue signaling thing, like, well, I'm vegan. I don't, I don't, I don't 
use I don't any, partake. I don't right? use yeah. any animal products because it's not fair to them. It's like, really, you ever met a cow that hasn't been milked in three days? They're fucking miserable. Like they they want you to milk them when when well, they haven't when like, they haven't been milked at the right, at the right interval. You I know, don't. But. I don't eat animal products, and I'm like, cool. Do you eat grains? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, okay. Well, like if a combine rips through a farm, some field mice are gonna die, right? Like there's just no equation where feeding billions of human beings doesn't result in in unfortunately the death of some animals yeah i i am a big believer in the idea that like you were born with omnivorous teeth you were born to live on an omnivorous diet but it it if we if we start to get to a point where we're like well i don't eat any carbs or i don't eat any like then we're starting to have these just large nutrient gaps i'm mm -hmm. just a big idea like my big idea in terms of nutrition is like we should have a well-rounded, reasonable, low-processed food diet. And if that means that we get our protein primarily from X source or Y source, but don't vilify an entire food or an entire food group, right? Yeah. And I think that a lot of times it's just like quality here matters, right? Like the eggs that you buy from Walmart probably aren't the same as like my eight girls in the backyard. I have backyard chickens. Eight, eight chickens, yes. Eight chickens. I have eight hens, right? Yeah. Not 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 like eight, eight not eight, eight girls, not eight little yeah. girls. Um so I have eight hens, right? And they're eating grass all day. They're roaming around in the sunshine. They're like digging in my yard and they're laying me these like beautiful bright golden eggs, right? Mm. So the yolks on them like just this... look look different. <sighs> uh, like it looks it's a whole different color when you yeah, get an action. They're it's amazing. Like, mm, they taste so good. But Anyways. this idea that we have to like, you know, kibosh an entire food group that you were literally designed to eat. Humans are incredible in the sense that we can thrive on a really large variety of diets. It's mm -hmm. why we've been so successful as a species because we can persevere through a lot of different types of famine. You can- Survival you can, of the most exactly. adaptable. We, it's, yeah, it's not survival of the fittest. It's the survival of the most adaptable. And we, as, as humans, in terms of our nutrition, we are extremely adaptable. We can survive for long periods of time on very, you know, minimal restrictive diets. Um, but that doesn't mean that that's the best way to it's not optimal. For long, right. It's not yes. optimal for long periods of time. Just because um, you can so do I, a thing doesn't mean it's optimal for correct longevity. I had someone argue with me one of those like 10 day, was it maple syrup, cayenne, pepper, like lemon oh, yeah, things, yeah. right? And how like, it's like the greatest thing since sliced bread. And I was like, well, but you're, you're starving yourself just enough to mobilize all the fat in your body because we know we harbor our toxins in our fat, but we're not giving our body enough nutrients to push our liver into the second phase of detoxification. Actually shuttle, so you're actually right, package so and shuttle out the toxins that you've just flushed. Exactly. So you feel like shit for a few days and then you're like oh I feel miraculous when I started eating again so my joke was always like you'd never see a lion in the jungle being like oh god I know there's a dead wildebeest but I'm not gonna eat it because I'm on my, my maple syrup fast right like <laughs> it's we're the only species that has the luxury of being able to think that way right yeah, yeah it's uh <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 funny that it's funny that you you that you mentioned that because I actually had a conversation not that long ago with somebody who is like what, what I'm like what what approach are you taking to eating like oh I do whole thirty oh, okay how long have you been on the whole thirty plan oh like two years 
<laughs> what you realize is called the whole built in the title yeah. last, last 30 days like this is literally not meant to last all like, like this is not a sustainable approach to nutrition or eating like it's they, they tell you what the time frame is in the title but that's a is the same I think that's, kind that of might thing. be my number two pet peeve too is this idea of these unsustainable eating patterns right like i i just think that a lot of these these people i don't want you to go on a diet i i freaking hate the word diet, right? Because a diet isn't something you go on. It's the mm. collective of the things that you put in your body to nourish yourself over your collective lifetime. It's not I like to call you, it an eating regimen. Yes. It's not something you go on, right? It's not like a fad or like a new outfit that's not going to be trendy in two years. It's it's your life, right? You should be eating to nourish this incredible machine that is your home and not because like this you know, celebrity promised you, you're going to lose this many pounds in this many days. And that's just not sustainable in the long term. So. Ugh. So, okay. So we've got, we've got two, we got fat, we've got the fad diets and the, and all of the unsustainable approaches. What, what, what else grinds your gears? What are the other, what are the other big ones? You can go really more than three. I'm <laughs> sure. I think the third one is probably like the crazy, um, just the off the wall supplements. Like sometimes I'll get people who will message me and they'll be like, Hey, have you ever heard of this? I'm taking this now. Or like, you know, I'll, I'll recommend, there's like a handful of, of supplements that I generally recommend for everyone. Like I'll be like, mm -hmm. Hey, take a good multi-mineral, you know, take a, take a vitamin D and make sure you're taking like a solid omega. And then after that, it's all like person specific. Like if mm -hmm. you need this, we talk about this. If you have adrenal fatigue, we talk about this. There are some people will, I'll, I'll, you know, look at their medicine cabinet and there's 9,000 supplements in there. And I'm like, what are you taking all of these for? And they're like, well, I need this for this and this for this. And I'm like, well, what are you eating that your diet is so <laughs> deficient and all of this yeah. shit that you need these like 55,000 nutrients to like fill in the gaps of what you're doing. Right. So like most of it should be coming from your food. And I think a lot of that is just, again, it's, especially with athletes, like athletes crack me up. They're like, this is my pre-workout. This is my during workout, this is my after workout. And I'm like, good God, like, how many shakes do you need to go lift for 30 minutes? Like, it's just outrageous. It's the peak of the pyramid. Like I, I, yes. I, I like supplementation. I'm not going to lie about that. Like I, I'm a fan of supplementation, but to, to your point, like it is the last component it is yes. caloric balance the the ma macronutrients yes. micronutrients then timing then then supplementation right and like that, those are those are like uh, the right amount of the right things of the Absolutely. right quality at the right time then adjuncts <laughs> like we have a very similar um athlete pyramid I always kind of talk about like diet and lifestyle first, then macronutrients, then micronutrients and timing and, and supplements. And like, that's kind of my hierarchy. Um, but same thing. I'm like, Hey, your supplements should be there. I, I, I'm, I'm with you. I love supplements, but I love supplements that are appropriate for the individual. Yeah. Individual, the right individualized. The right yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm the same way. I, I actually literally just told one of my guys, he asked, he was, he's taking a multivitamin. He's like, should I even be taking this? I was like, probably not. 
<laughs> like if, if if you're eating if you're eating well, you're eating like, well, yeah, eating well, you probably shouldn't be taking a multivitamin. I was like, I kind of said the same thing you said. It's like if you're eating shittily enough that you need a multivitamin, that's your least problem because it's like honestly, there's a lot for a lot of them. They're not chelated properly. They they inhibit the they inhibit the absorption of of certain nutrients, inhibit the absorption of others, and I was like you don't have that many gaps. You might need one or two. And like, I'm with you. Vitamin D is one I recommend for everybody. Magnesium, vitamin C, vitamin D, you know, but the, like the ones that are generally considered safe, generally considered, uh, you know, efficacious, right. right. And of the right quality and of the right dosage and all of those. And I tell everybody like, get a vitamin D test. <laughs> like it's absolutely like, it's cheap. It's super easy. Well, and, especially and then, where and then you, you know, whether you need a thousand, yeah. you need a thousand IUs yeah. or you need 5,000 IUs. Like it, it makes, it makes a difference. And it's like, the, and those are all cheap. And that's the thing. Like, you know, you generally know it's, a, you generally know it's a, it's a, a, it's a supplement. You probably should be taking when it's one of the cheap ones because like vitamin C is vitamin C is super cheap. Vitamin D is super cheap. Creatine monohydrate, super fucking cheap. Like, all, cheap. <laughs> like, but those are the ones that work because nobody's been, <laughs> it's all the research is there to back them up so nobody's been able to claim a proprietary blend that gives you a thousand percent increase and it's like no it's like you take creatine mono you might get a five percent increase in strength okay right i'm gonna take that you, because five percent matters five percent matters yeah, it's, matters. yeah it, but it's yeah. you mean it's not the um skull and crossbones like work out work out work out like yeah yeah here's of, yeah like yeah. exploding with your here's yeah. 500 milligrams of caffeine to really get you jacked <laughs> you know it's like oh my god so yeah it's uh yeah, it's fun. Meanwhile, actually... the guy who takes that is then like, or, or or girl who takes that is then in the gym, like they do three sets of three and then they're on their phone for the next like 45 <laughs> minutes. And they're like, oh, uh, I worked out for an hour, man. And I'm like, eh, yeah, I get that. Well, I, I actually see, I see the other side of it more. It's, it's more the, the guy like, well, I've got to take, I've got to take my, I've got to take my pre-workout or I can't hit my, I can't hit my 90 minute oh, session. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah the, and, then got, and then I've got, yeah. and then I've got, and then I've got work and then I've got work and then I'm and you walk through and you're like, fuck man, I'm stressed out just hearing about your life like why are why are you taking 600 milligrams of caffeine a day like that is the last (laughs) thing you're that is the last thing your body needs on top of all of the other things that you're talking about like let's talk about adrenal fatigue a little bit like right actually that would be a good topic to ask you about like what are symptoms and signals of adrenal fatigue and is adrenal fatigue really a thing? Um, and because you, you get people will say like, well, adrenal fatigue is not really a thing. Like adrenals can't really be fatigued. That's well, a, that's I mean, a thing. So give us a doctor's perspective on, on some If you're of asking me if your adrenals are like sitting in there, like, whoo, it's been a rough day. Um, from a perspective of our, it's not that they're burning out in the way that kind of people talk about them, but they're definitely just working overtime all the time. How many, how many people at this point in 2020 can say that they're not stressed out about anything, right? right. Like, even if you didn't have anxiety, I don't, I'm not an anxious person. <laughs> My husband gets to, to claim the title for like anxious of the two of us. I have like raging anxiety right now all the time, just because I have children. It's 2020 and the world is a dumpster fire. Yes. And so you have that perpetual kind of low level, you know, if you have these, these adrenal hormones that are constantly kind of being secreted in low level amounts, then at a certain point it is, it's kind of like the boy who cried wolf. Like your adrenals are like, dude, we are running from the cheetah all the time. Like Mm. I'm done. Let the cheetah take you. Like it's, we're done here. Um, And so you see it a lot 
Uh, obviously, again, because of the high stress, you see it a lot. I know that's not your main population, but you see it a lot in like postmenopausal women. They have no estrogen. Their mm. adrenals are desperately trying to convert some estrogen in the in the little bit of fat they have left to to make up for the estradiol that they're they're missing out on. So, if the adrenal if the adrenals aren't able to do that job properly, and you lose out on all the other kind of like end of the line hormones that should be happening here then yeah, you see women who can't sleep at night. You see, uh, you know, you see all these consequences of people who get up and, and they do, like you said, they need the six cups of coffee to get through their day. There's no reason why any like reasonable human being who gets more than, let's even be generous and say like six hours of sleep a night. I have two kids. I don't need more than one cup of coffee in the morning because even with low levels amounts of stress, my diet should be nourishing those organs. And the mm. problem is, is we don't eat the foods that nourish our organs in mm. the United States. We like the pretty parts of animals. We want to eat the steak. Mm. We want to eat the, right? We want to eat all the nice pre-butchered. I don't have to think about the fact that it actually came from a living, breathing cow. And we don't do things like eat organ meats. We don't eat, you know. That's one of the things I think tissue. that carnivore is actually getting right yeah. is the is the rooter to tutor component of it. And you yes. actually are seeing people that are for the first time in their life eating liver and heart and and yes. stomach and tail and cheek and all of the things. Like I I will like I will eat an animal nose to tail. Like I, I actually like I actually like liver. I'm one of the weird people. I actually like liver. I eat. Uh, lengua tacos like uh, like I will like, oh, I, like you know I'll eat tripe like but uh, that's not I'm I'm I will be the first to tell you I'm odd <laughs> you know but um, it's it's interesting that you say like we're not eating the things that support the organs um, and how does that tie to the HPA H, the HPA axis is you know hypothalamus pituitary and adrenals for for people that, that aren't familiar and that's what we were just kind of getting into is uh, adrenal fatigue is to me it's a lot like muscle memory like people use the term muscle memory to make a very complex uh, physiological phenomenon understandable to a, to a normal person right like like if yeah, do muscles actually have memory? No, because they no, don't have yeah. brains. But the, the <laughs> fact that your brain can activate neural pathways and neurological signals go down a particular chain and the more it goes, the, the better it gets. And, you know, motor pattern learning and all of those things are real things, but it, it takes a higher level understanding and it's not easy to, it's not easy to communicate. So people just say, well, you need muscle memory. You need to practice. They're basically saying you need to practice this because you get more efficient with practice because that is a real thing. So the same thing, in my opinion, with adrenal fatigue is a, is a terminology that helps people understand the basics of HPA access dysfunction, right? It's like, basically, Absolutely. I'm basically telling you that you're, you're overstressed for too long and it's causing a shit storm in your, in the, in the parts of your parts of your body that control your hormones, right? That's, that's really the way I, I kind of think of it, you know, but. Well, and, and think of the endocrine system, the entire system works on feedback loops, right? So we're constantly, your body is constantly monitoring the levels of hormones and reporting back to the brain and saying, hey, I have this much of this hormone, right? And then your brain makes decisions like, okay, well, that's not enough. So I'm going to trigger this cascade of events that will cause us to make more. Or it says, that's great. We can kind of either hold there or even taper off a little bit. But when we start to have these things like burnouts, when we start to have things like insulin resistance, right? Our 
our body is saying, Hey, you're not listening to me. I said, there's enough of this or there, you know, in some instances it's that I, I said that there's not enough of this. Right. Mm -hmm. And we continue down that pathway. And if you're, if your brain can't recognize that there is or is not enough of something, those feedback mechanisms start to fail. Right. Because mm -hmm. no matter how much I tell you, you need more insulin because you're eating too much sugar, your pancreas is like, dude, I'm all out. Like I got yeah. nothing else here to give you. So your brain can keep pumping out hormones saying, I need you to make more insulin. I need you to make more insulin. I need you to make more insulin. And so a lot of times upstream, it looks like everything's working. Like, hey, the brain is telling you to make it. But then downstream, your, your, your pancreas is like, yeah, but I can't do it anymore, right? Yep, and that's so, where type so, 2 diabetes comes in. Exactly. So when we look at the adrenal pathway, it's kind of like, hey, like we, we escaped the cheetah, stop. You're not gonna get eaten. And your, and your adrenals are still constantly sending that signal like well, the cheetah's right behind me, the cheetah's right behind me, the cheetah's mm -hmm. right behind me, the cheetah's right behind me. And so finally the brain is just like, we're done here, right? Like we, yeah. you're, you're bananas, there's no cheetah there. But our stress levels are telling us that we're perpetually need to be concerned about all of these stressors. And so that whole feedback loop and that whole mechanism upstream kind of gets, you know, perturbed by the fact that we don't have that downstream response that we're looking mm. for. Yeah. And because the endocrine system is a web, not a linear chain, mm. it then ripples out to other organs, right? Like if you look at how all of these organs communicate, it's not just this organ speaks to this organ speaks to this organ. It ripples out to every other endocrine organ in this kind of like water droplet type effect. I love that. I love that analogy, actually, because that really helps you visualize that, like, it is like very much like a spider web, and anything that touches mm -hmm. on the spider web reverberates a across the whole thing. I, I love that. I love that visualization, actually. That's, that's super, I think that's super helpful. Um, how do you, how do you categorize stress with, with your clients? Because I, I, I typically use the framework of there's internal stresses, um, you know, like created in your brain. Um, there's, mm -hmm. ex, there's, there's external, there's external stretch, external stresses like the cheetah, you know, the, the acute stressors. And then there, and then there's external systemic stresses, which is, which is like exercise or, uh, you know, eating bad things, you know, whatever, in, any of those, I, I tend to think of it in those three, those three buckets, like internal stress levels, then the external ones that are acute, and then external ones that are more low level or constant. Level. How, how, how do you, how do you articulate it? <laughs> Cause I, I feel like that's not the best way to articulate stresses. I'm looking for a better framework. So a lot of times when we, I used to teach anatomy uh, a little bit here and there. And a lot of the times, the ways that we explained it to students was like perceived versus mm. physical stress, right? Yep. So like perceived stress, um, it's like you said, it's the things that you kind of stress about in your mind that aren't necessarily a tiger's going to eat you, right? Like is a wedding, you hear people being like, oh, I'm so nervous. My wedding's coming up. And I'm like, why is the wedding cake going to like, Godzilla's going to pop out of it? Like. It's just a cake oh, God, and a party, right? Right. But like, you know, we're so worked up about it because it's a perceived stress, right? Mm. So there are these stressors that we place internally on ourselves, like you said. And then there are these external stressors, like something that is actually physically dangerous, right? Like uh, the adrenaline rush you get if you like had a near car accident, right? Mm. That's an actual stress and that's an acute stress. And then, like you said, there are these actual um, kind of background stressors, right? COVID being a great example, or what? for Never those of you it. who may be nervous about politics, right? Like those are those like background stressors that are a little bit of a mixture of like 
perceived and real, right? Mm. Um, and I think those are the ones that almost get to, to people more, right? Because I think that when it's a when it's a tangible acute stressor, our our body and our brain is better at putting out the fire then, right? Mm. Um, I kind of, we, we've been joking around that I feel like this year has been a lot of, um, I call them medium-sized dumpster fires, right? And if I could have, if <laughs> I million, could just A have, million small fires. Right, a million tiny fires. And if I just had one big scary problem in front of me, I can focus all my energy on fixing that one problem, right? But when you have all these little background stressors that are not necessarily big enough to be like we have to solve this problem now or something terrible is going to happen. Hmm. Um, those are almost the worst, right? Because that low level chronic stress is really what contributes to kind of that background inflammation because we as humans are designed to deal with stressful events. We're designed to deal, we're even designed to deal with like, Hey, you had a really shitty cheat meal and it was bad for you. And there was a lot of terrible stuff in it. You have a liver and, and kidneys and organs that like get rid of toxins for you. What we're not good at is that kind of tap perpetually being on that mm. tap of like perpetual exposure to bad things, that perpetual exposure to stress. And so that one is almost kind of the most difficult to tackle because I feel like that's where that like perpetual low level anxiety comes in. And that is one of those background inflamers for most mm. people. So what, uh, and I know a big part of what you do is, is very specific prescriptions for specific people for their very specific and individualized needs. Um, but we've, <laughs> uh, but we've also talked a lot about the general, you know, kind of the general prescription. So what, what do you feel like is the, is the best generalized prescription you can give to an audience, uh, you know, of, of, well, hundreds, hopefully thousands of people, right? What, what would be your best general advice that people could do to, to be more resilient based on what they're putting in their bodies? So general advice for me would be um, eat as little processed food as possible, right? If you're making your own food, a lot of times you can get away with a lot more. Um, there's a whole lot of things that you could like cook for yourself that, that if you made them for yourself versus like you bought them at a store, it's a whole different ballgame. Like I'm not going to tell you, you can never have mac and cheese, but making mac and cheese versus buying a box of mac and cheese, those are two very different things. So mm. avoiding processed food, um, increasing your produce and your fiber intake. I think that the, on the whole, we do an abysmal job. I think that the statistics are something like 92% of Americans don't get the recommended um, produce and fiber intake. Mm -hmm. um, and so just balancing our meals to say like, hey, half of my plate is like fruits and vegetables and then reasonable amounts of whole grains and reasonable amounts of animal products. High quality, obviously. I, I think that should be like a, given that I'm, I'm advocating for like quality food if possible. Yes. You've been um, pretty, you've been pretty consistent about that. I think pretty consistent about that. It's very <laughs> on brand for me. Yeah. Um, you know, but there's a hierarchy to food, right? Like every step in the right direction matters. So like mm -hmm. an egg is better than like a fake egg, but then an organic egg is better than a regular egg and a pastured egg is better than an organic, right? So there's always this like hierarchy to quality, but like first just starting with real food, making real food, making the proportions of, of your meal, uh, you know, a lot of your fruits and vegetables, a lot of your whole grains, a lot of your high quality animal products, inappropriate amounts. Um, and then really making sure that when we expose ourselves to things like um, 
especially your like fast digesting carbohydrates, right? As opposed to like your slow carbs. But if you're going to have something that you know is a little bit more of a, um, of a quick digesting carb, making sure we're cognizant of pairing things like fat, fiber, and protein together, right? Because if mm -hmm. you can take things like if you're, if you're like, hey, my wife's going to make mashed potatoes tonight, or I'm going to make mashed potatoes tonight, well, we're equal opportunity, right? Um, then say, okay, cool. It used to be that it was like, well, well, don't put butter in them because butter's bad for you. That's nonsense. Put the grass-fed butter in the potatoes because it's going to slow down the absorption of those carbs, which is mm. going to, you need the carbs, but you don't want them to spike your blood sugar in this really yeah. crazy, it like, It distributes blood sugar the event. glycemic load. Exactly. And it makes so, them more delicious. Way more delicious, <laughs> right? So really looking at, like, you know, the the what what are we eating you know are we eating boxed mac and cheese or are we you know making whole grain pasta with like actual cheese on it mm. um really increasing our our nutrient dense foods right like our our vegetables and whatnot and then looking at that that macronutrient distribution can we make sure that every snack every right because like, even my mom she'll be like hey i'm so good i had like three apples today and i'm like you just ate three apples in one sitting with no other food she's like yeah aren't i so healthy and i'm like what's your blood sugar look like right now like um and the answer was not good was what we came to find out um but I that's Jack's I'm like, complete we, lack of surprise <laughs> can we throw some like almond butter on that to, right so like so just really distributing that like fat fiber protein to make sure that our nutrient profile is a little bit more balanced and that we're not having those repeated insulin spikes because that's like we said that's going to confuse our endocrine system to say mm. well there's just constantly glucose coming at me so i'm constantly pumping out insulin so making our, our meals well-rounded and then just, you know, have fun with it. Be, I, I'm not going to tell you guys that I never eat. Like, I, I, I'm very transparent about it. I'll be like, hey, I'm baking cookies for the kids today. And people are like, how are, you're a nutritionist. I can't believe you eat cookies. I'm like, first of all, I have children. Like, <laughs> are you kidding me? Um, yeah, we can get through life on like, you know, oh, once in a while, I give them a nugget of, of cocoa nibs and they get through the day. Like, please, like, they're five and three. Like, we're yeah. going to have treats here and there. Um, but just, you know, making it that like some people do the, for the reasonable person, like an 80, 20 is probably fine. Like if you're eating at home 80% of the time and like dining out or having a cheat meal, um, I'd say our family's probably closer to, to 90, 10, just because of the fact that I'm way too far down the rabbit hole to make anything too fun. Um, but you know, we do, we do make sure that our, the, the meals that we're eating are delicious and fun and gratifying. And I think that's the biggest thing is people get wrapped up in this idea that like healthy eating sucks and it's boring and it mm. tastes bad. And then, and then they fall off, you know, what they're doing because they're like, I'm sick of eating the same stupid chicken salad eat like 95 days in a row. Yeah, you're exactly. Um, even my dogs eat better than that. Right. Yeah. Um, so just making sure that you're, you're cooking what you love and take the foods that you love and, and, and make those fit into a healthy diet. If you're like, hey, I love pizza, I'm like, great, then find a great homemade whole wheat pizza crust that you like to make and, and take it from there, right? Like eat what you love, but make it fit into a better picture of what a, a nutritious diet looks like, right? Like I don't wanna, you're not going on a diet to, to be skinny, right? You're, you're going on a diet to properly nourish this incredible machine that you've been given to navigate life with. Yeah, that's a big piece of the mindset component of it that I think a lot of us struggle with, right? Is uh, I don't eat I don't eat 
uh, well because I hate my body, eat well because I love my body. I think you just posted right. on, on Instagram, you know, recently. I liked, I liked that a lot. And um, we talked a little bit about the food politics thing. So I want to give you a chance to, to tell people like a couple of tips on how you can make eating well more affordable because it's, it's, not, as, it's not as hard as, as I think people think it is, but it is a real constraint that some people do have, especially Absolutely. right now. Um, so what are like your best tips for how can you eat well on, on the cheap, right? <laughs> as, as well as you can afford on the cheap? How can you eat a little bit better? Uh, how can you save more money? How can you still nourish your body, but also not blow your whole paycheck? Your whole bet. Yeah. Right. Shopping at whole paycheck. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of the things that I do, um, if I find things that I consistently like to eat, um, I, I first of all, invest in a, in a chest freezer if you can, because there is so much you can do in terms of like, Hey, uh, they had a huge sale on grass-fed meat, right? You can freeze meat for like six months at a time. So I, I do a when cow you share. see it like, going, yes, huge, huge thing. We've too. done half hogs. We've done quarter cows. You know, it's it's a great way to if you can get them to you know get that hanging weight price down after they butcher it. It's really great. But even just um, you know, going to the store, there's a certain brand of tortillas that we like because my husband is gluten sensitive, and mm. I, I I kind of like balk at buying them because they're expensive. But every once in a while, they'll go on sale and I'm like, cool, I'm going to buy eight packages and throw them in the freezer. And now I don't have to feel so guilty when they're half as much as they would be. Um, I also, I, I get a lot of flack from this from um, a lot of other kind of dietitian minded people. A lot of people like to meal plan because then they feel like they go to the store mm. and they're like, well, I only buy the things I need. And I'm like, okay, yeah. well, I have an idea in my head of like, our staples, right? I have a very good handle on like what my kids like, what they'll eat, what we always have in the house at any given time. Yeah. But I don't want to make my meal plan so specific that I've boxed myself into like, well, I've decided we're going to make this particular fish and that fish isn't on sale. And now I've planned my whole menu around this. I like to go to the store and be like, okay, um, let's look at what produce is on sale and let's start to kind of meal plan in our head around that. Let's look at what meat is. On, I mean, meat is going to be most of the time your biggest in terms mm. of like per pound expense. Yep. Um, so I'll go to the butcher and the fishmonger first and be like, okay, this week lamb shanks are on sale or this week snappers on sale. Now I'm making those two things. And now I'm planning the rest of my meals around what do I want to serve with that? Um, there are certain vegetables shop in season, right? That was um, one thing I was going to say is actually as, as somebody who, who was a produce buyer, I can actually tell you that shopping in season gets you higher quality produce at a lower price point because it's actually cheapest when it's most harvestable. Um, so there's a reason strawberries are super expensive in the wintertime and they're also shitty <laughs> because yes. they're, oh, they're the, awful. Yeah. because the earth, the earth isn't producing as many of them. So there's a lower, there's a lower, there's a lower supply of, of available ones. So the quality ones are even more expensive and the shitty ones are that are available are extra shitty, but you're still going to pay like $9 a pint for them. And it's ridiculous. But, but in the summer, in the summertime, they'll be like four bucks because everybody's got strawberries and that's everyone when, has strawberries. That's when, that's when the quality is highest. So shopping in season, definitely, definitely. shopping in season. I definitely, I do the same thing with produce. Like I, I love honey crisp apples as much as the next person. But what I do is I only buy them in the fall when they're in season and when they're on sale on top of that. And other than that, there's 9,000 varieties of apples. Mm, so why don't I look yeah. at the ones that are on sale this week and buy those? 
Um, there's only two harvests of, of apples every year. Did you know that? Six, there's, there's really? two, yeah, only two, unless you're buying like very, very locally, but if you're buying at a grocery store, there's only those, those there's of what, like two big harvests. Yeah. yeah, there's likely, they likely have been in storage uh, for a couple of months, but that's, that's just a, that's a whole my, other, um, that's a whole other rabbit hole we could go down with my knowledge of the supply chain and, and produce in particular, but that's a. Well, that actually, that cracks me up because you were telling me you're a nose to tail guy and I'm the same way, but that's because my family family is Czech. They grew up in the Czech Republic in, in the 60s during the occupation. And so um, one, you don't waste anything, right? Yeah. Like I was taught that you eat everything. Like you said, I've, I, I have like nightmares of my grandfather forcing me to eat tripe soup when I was a kid. I still think that's like the <laughs> one thing that I won't eat, but I, we do we eat, the, you know, the lengua, we eat everything. Um, but my mom would tell me stories about how apples were the big thing when mm. it was, winter time in the Czech Republic because it was like the one thing that you could put in the cellar and an apple would like stay relatively yep. decent through the, the entire season. So yep. um, they, they do. They're, they, they they're a very hearty fruit. Yes. Um, but you know, like if, if it's, if it's coming down to like pink ladies or galas, I'm not going to like, that's yeah. not the hill Who that cares? I'm going to die on. I'm yeah. going to buy the ones that are on Just don't give me a red delicious. Cause those things are <laughs> mealy and wrong. They're just, the, hate, they shouldn't yeah, even they be a thing so anymore. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Apple snobbery. <laughs> Apples. Yeah. We're so, we're so high. We're so bougie with our apples. Um, then I do things like, you know, I, I like every good, you know, shopper who has children. I, I do my, my, uh, uh, my warehouse shopping, right? I'll go to Costco and I'll be like, okay, they're obsessed with this brand of cracker. And so I'm going to, you know, we like these almond flour crackers and it's mm. like, all right, I'm going to go buy four boxes of this today. Or, um, uh, I also, I am known for like my multiple, my multiple stores, right? If I mm, need this, yep. I go to this store. If I need this, I go to this store because I know, uh, where I can get my product uh, cheaper, right? Like it might be yeah. cheaper. This product is cheaper at Trader Joe's and this one I can only get at Whole Foods because it's the only place they sell it. And these I buy at Costco and, and it just, if budget is a constraint, um, then, then that's kind of how, uh, you have to think. There are also just healthy foods that are just inherently cheaper than others, right? Like if you, um, if you want to eat grass fed beef, um, but you're not going to pay $18.99 a pound for, for, you know, steak, you can do a hell of a lot with ground beef. Ground yeah. grass-fed ground beef is, is a health food, and I can make Six or an seven infinite number of meals around that one, you know, one cut. And I don't have to sit there and say, well, it has to be a chuck roast or it has to be a sirloin. I save those kind of for the special occasions, right? And if you're and if you're more flexible with the macros because you're eating a more balanced approach, you haven't eliminated mm -hmm. a whole macro. Then suddenly the fattier cuts, which are usually cheaper because you because people they're not the sexy cuts that you're unless you're talking about a ribeye, right. right? That's a fatty cut. That's a sexy. But like, <laughs> sexy cut, but, you know, yeah. but when you're but when you're talking like you can go get you know you can go get uh, you know pork you know pork butt that's you know really really cheap if you're not scared of fat, right? Or you can yep. you know you, you can eat pig's feet like <laughs> you can like there's all all sorts of there's all sorts of things you can do if you if especially if you learn and the thing that's so funny to me is like we talk about like your ethnic background and like there are so many delicious foods that people mm -hmm. around the world eat from from unsexy cuts of meat but if you if you learn how how they're cooked like you can make amazing amazing food i mean like pork cheek is one of the most tender delicious. cuts oh. of meat that you'll ever eat but people are like 
pork cheek and it's not yeah cheeks yeah and it's and it's not expensive either and so we have this you know conflation of of price with uh, price with quality and it's not necessarily it's just demand usually more more so than more so than quality but Anyway, so, well, thank you so much. I, I want to be respectful of your time. I know you've got, I know you've got, the kids are sleeping right now, but uh, I know you've probably got plenty of other things to do. And I know John would probably like to, would probably like to see you. It is, <laughs> you know, it is a Saturday night. So I really appreciate you taking the time, but I want to give you a, a couple of minutes to, to, you know, plug your, plug your company and tell people how they can find you, how they can hire you, how they can follow your blog, you know, read the stuff you put out there. Cause you, you put great content out there, a lot of helpful stuff on Instagram. And, um, you know, I know there's, I know there's more to come because you, you kind of just recently launched the new nutrition company. So, you know, take the last couple of minutes here and, and talk about your, talk about your new company. Thank you. Yeah, I'm so excited. So uh, Campione Nutrition is my new kind of nutrition consulting company. Um, The idea actually came just through the fact that um, with everything kind of moving virtual and people being comfortable in that virtual space, I really just saw an opportunity to increase my reach. Um, I'm obviously licensed in the state of Illinois, so I'm offering actual medical nutrition therapy, diagnostic uh, nutrition therapy to those in, in the state of Illinois but I'm doing coaching virtually, uh, basically to the entire United States, just teaching people how to eat and all of the things we've been talking about, right? So how to shop, how to meal plan, how to nourish properly, how to get your kids to eat things, right? Like I'll get people telling me my kids won't eat this. And I'm like, well, you waited until they were 10 to introduce it. (laughs) So that's good luck. Um, but I'm on Instagram at Dr. Christina Campioni, uh, and with a K, my, Christina with a K, with a K and I'll put, yes, sorry, I'll put it in the, I'll, I'll put it in the show. I'll put it in the show notes. So the Europeans and their weird <laughs> spellings. Um, my website is drcampioni.com. Uh, you'll learn all about us. Is here John with okay the... with that? Cause you're not the only Dr. Campioni, even in your house. <laughs> <laughs> it's a point of contention. But he'll, he'll get over it. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> well, maybe you could sell them the website later. <laughs> See, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, you'll learn about what we're doing here. We're, we're teaching people all the things about eating healthy. Um, there's a lot here too about what we're doing. I, I, uh, I, like I said, I have backyard chickens. I keep bees. I, I call myself like oh, a suburban right. farmer. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. Bees. So kind of We didn't even talk the about things. the bees. Oh man. Uh, round two, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but so yeah, we focus on just teaching people, um, um, how to kind of navigate this really complicated system and how to kind of um, sidestep all of this misinformation and just learn how to properly nourish and fuel their bodies, whether they're a mom or an athlete, or, you know, if they're looking to help their family's diet. Um, like we said, there's some general rules for everybody, but in terms of individualizing it to make it realistic, make it reaffordable and make it actually attainable for, um, you know, yourself or your family, because what's the point of giving you all this nutritious food if it's something that you don't want to eat? So looking at customizing it to making it um, catered to you. Right now, I'm actually uh, delving into helping kids who have like sensory food sensitivities and taking oh, nice. the, the foods that they're willing to eat and trying to create nutritious combinations of the things that they're already willing to eat. So um, it's really about like individualizing uh, what that person or what that family's needs are. And like I said, there's uh, very soon I'll be I'll be hoping to launch a podcast of my own. I'm blogging on the website. I'm always pumping awesome. out new Instagram content. So really excited to see where this all goes. Fantastic. Well, I'm really excited to see where it all goes as well. And I can 
I can vouch that, uh, you know, she knows, she knows her stuff really, really well. And hopefully you got a sense <laughs> of that on today's podcast. And especially if you're in Illinois, definitely, definitely look her up if you are in Illinois, because uh, that's uh, the face to face you'll I think you'll really, really appreciate but she has a deep, deep, deep breadth of knowledge in this in this area of especially when it comes to holistic nutrition and, and how it can affect your, your movement and we didn't even we didn't even get into your athletic and movement background very much today because that's like I said we'll have to do it we'll have to do a round two because you also have we'll deep do a round two. expertise in that as well but uh but you're really... talking me up so much man I mean I, I I'm a I'm an Ancora Imparo believer like I'm always <laughs> learning so if I don't have the answers the one thing that you can trust me for is that I will go research the living shit out of them I I am not good with leaving an answer unturned so I think we're very similar in that, in that respect that I don't know yeah I'm not afraid to admit that I don't know but I will hunt for the answer until I find it or it will kill me so. <laughs> says the girl who would tumble on a stress fracture shocking absolutely <laughs> well thank you so much Christine I really appreciate your time and I had a great I had a great great time uh, with this conversation so thank you very much I Same. look forward to talking to you again soon and when we're able to travel again I can't I can't wait to see you and you and John and the kids uh, you know sometime, yes, ho hopefully soon, they're not too hopefully future, when the so. world turns right side up yeah fingers fingers uh, crossed so thank you very much have a great rest of your night and we'll, we'll talk soon thanks you too bye thanks for listening to this episode of the platform podcast i'm jordan kundi wright if you have a question please email me at twin cities kettlebell club at gmail.com follow us on instagram and facebook at twin cities kettlebell club on twitter at tckb club online at TwinCitiesKettlebellClub.com. And please help us grow our reach and give us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time.